In this week's edition of Flying High, the Philly fans' perspective, it's it's over. The season is officially over. I don't know if it's technically officially over, but the birds have broken our hearts for the last time this season. <clears throat> Sixers are still finding a way to win. They struggled in Toronto, but we'll be breaking down a little bit about them. Flyers are getting things done, and Temple football is in a little bit of disarray right now. But it's all right. We'll hit it all. Send requests. Play us in. Alrighty, welcome to Flying High, the Philly fans' perspective. I mean, words are hard to... You can't find the right word to describe how you're feeling right now after last night's game. All the anticipation that we have a chance to win, we have a chance to tie the Cowboys on top of the division and make our final push to the playoffs to defend our title. And I have to say that this is like... This is a it, it's symbolism for how the entire season has gone, where one minute you think you're out of the game and then the birds tease us by doing something miraculous. And then ultimately, we just were not a good enough team to be in the playoffs and be a competitive team. Dropping one to the Cowboys in overtime, 29 to 23. There's a lot of things to talk about, but my my initial thought was. We did not play to win that game. The Cowboys kept us in that game. Dak Prescott kept us in that game. It should have been a lot worse than it actually was. And I don't know if that's better or worse because a heartbreaking finish in overtime on a ball that was tipped. I just don't know, Justin. What are you thinking? Man, it it was just like a... That game, first off, very... Very deflating, very, very deflating. And I'm not talking about Tom Brady, no. Ah. I'm talking about the end of, yeah, the end of that game. Just the whole game in general was just super deflating because it, I think it was a microcosm of just this, just this entire season. Um, you just have a team that, quite frankly, isn't good enough the way that they're constructed right now. Or, or, or maybe it's the, just the, the personnel that they have, the coaching staff that they have right now. A quarterback who clearly isn't a hundred percent or he's not back to what he was yet i think maybe that's more fair but just very def- very deflating and again a, a microcosm of the whole season just the, the fact that this team is just they're not good enough right now they're not good enough and we kind of need to turn the page uh to the draft and to the off season and to next year so we can kind of just flip the just I don't know, flip the page on this season right now because it's just been so disappointing. And uh, I just kept thinking to myself the whole time, you know, even if they squeak this one out, even if they do win for this, or do win this game, what is it all for? Because I, I don't think that anyone thinks that this team is good enough to do anything in the playoffs, even if they were to make it. So for me, it really was kind of like a for who, for what thing. And I, and I, I get that might not be the greatest thing to say as a fan, but I mean, you kind of know this team isn't going anywhere. I think we've been holding on to this shred of hope that they would start to put it together and start to maybe come out and start to dominate teams. But I think that ship has sailed. So, and, and what this team is, is what they are right now. So 
for me, it was, and I think you and I were, we kind of said, both said it, we, we, at least it kind of gave us some closure. Yeah, definitely. It definitely made it, I don't want to say it was easier to digest, but when I was texting you talking about how this, this entire podcast is going to go, it was kind of like, we can finally lay to rest any, any hope that the Eagles are going to do anything. We can stop talking about what needs to happen for them to make the playoffs and what uh, we were, we were asking for too much, really. We were, it just got worse and worse. And as, as Philly fans, we held on to the hope that these crazy things would happen. And it, it, it was coming to the point where it's like, oh, well, we can beat the Rams on the road and the Texans who are a hot team. If only this will happen and that'll happen. But really, every week that we watch this team, they do not do enough just based off the eye test to prove to us that they're a playoff football team. And whether we were more confident coming off of a win versus the Redskins. I know I texted you after watching the Redskins get beat down by the Giants. I was like, now I'm scared for this Cowboys game because the Redskins team that we beat but didn't beat badly enough just got manhandled by a Giants team that apparently Eli Manning <clears throat> remembered how to play football and Saquon Barkley went off. But clearly that Redskins team was not a team that we should have looked at that and been like, okay, that was a primetime game. We got the win. We're, we're looking good, but for me, at least as a Philly fan that tries to hold on to hope no matter what, I was, I guess I was just looking for another miracle season, and last year was a miracle season, but that came with a lot more wins and a lot more talent, and this year we were kind of reaching with a, you know, an average team at best. Yeah, in the Redskins game... I kind of came out of that feeling like it was sort of like a cheap win, I guess. It, I, people will tell you, the guys that cover the game will tell you, a win in the National Football League is a win no matter what, no matter who you play, no matter who you beat. A win is a win, and wins are hard to come by. So in that sense, yes, I get it. But, yeah, that wasn't a win you can feel good about. I mean, with Mark Sanchez in there, I mean, give me a break. So I, um, I kind of have been feeling the same way for weeks now, and I had this inkling that just this – just with what I've been seeing with Carson too, and we'll get to Carson in a second, but just with what I've been seeing with the coaches, um, the running back rotation, the defense, the quarterback, the offensive line, I just think that there's so many problems right now. There's too many, too many problems for this team to address in order in time for the playoffs. Um, it wouldn't be fair for us to kind of expect them to do anything. And I'm not making excuses for this team because this team has underperformed badly. There are players that have have not answered the bell this season. There are players that we needed to stay healthy and didn't stay healthy. And those guys are going to need to answer some questions in the offseason. They're, they're going to, you know, the, the front office needs to make some decisions. There are guys that have not stepped up. And there are coaches that have not done a good enough job putting their best players in position to win. And that includes Doug Peterson. And he is going to get a lot of the scrutiny from me tonight. Because, quite frankly, Doug has not done a good enough job this year as the coach of a Super Bowl winning team. Yeah, that's. I mean, we, we, we have so much to touch on, but let's start with that first bad call. It's like, right from the kickoff, like, are you kidding me? These The refs absolutely blew the game from the start. That was one of the worst calls. <laughs> I'm going to say this twice tonight. But that was one of the worst professional calls I've ever seen, regardless of sport. It was just, uh, I'm still going through it. And, and actually the, one of my coaches that I, that I coach with, he's a Dallas Cowboys fan. So he, even he came up to me today and said, 
yeah, that first call was awful. So, I mean, you've got Cowboys fans that know the refs were horrible on both sides last night. But essentially what you have is a fumble and then recovered by – it's the ball is swarmed by four players wearing green. Yeah, there was and no Cowboys in sight. There, 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 was, there, was, there were no Cowboys in there sight. There was no Cowboy in sight. And so – initially they they the ruling was that there was no fumble right so doug peterson challenged that here's what here's what's interesting about the whole thing we'll, we'll get to the the idiocy of the of the call in, in a minute but the, what's more interesting and i don't think a lot of people realize is that doug challenged that and the initial call was a fumble so then they came back and they said okay actually there was a fumble but there wasn't a clear recovery so doug kind of won the challenge but they took a timeout away from the Eagles anyway. So that's another thing that is just mind-boggling. Um, but then you then you look at the fact that how they didn't give the ball back to the Eagles. You have four players who were over top of the ball, and yet, they, they're, like you said, there was no Cowboy anywhere in the vicinity. Yet, because they can't tell who picked up the ball, they can't say that there was a clean recovery? I'm baffled by that. It's just, it's unbelievable, to be honest, in this day and age where we have all this technology that can help us out. We can zoom as far in as you need to see. That was clear cut. The Eagles had the football. And I was watching at a sports bar where the sound wasn't on uh, to start. So I was watching that purely based off the visual. And as like the review is happening, I'm sitting there like, we got the ball. We got the ball. And then I see the Cowboys take over on offense, and I just couldn't believe it. I honestly could not believe that they screwed that call up so royally. Whether it made a difference, um, I guess you could say it's up for question, but if the Eagles get the ball inside the red zone after the Cowboys fumble the opening kickoff, at worst they come out up 3 nothing in Dallas with a deflated team and a crowd that's now shut up because the Eagles have stomped on them. And at best case scenario, we're up seven or eight, nothing, probably seven, because they'll probably kick that field goal, but seven, nothing with a touchdown. And I mean, there was no offense to be had in the first half, but it could have been a completely different ball game. Oh, it could have changed the complexity of the entire game. You don't know what, how the Eagles react or how Dallas reacts after that. And I know I sent this to you earlier, but I wanted to read the, um, the re reporter, Calvin Watkins of the athletic happened to ask, um, Cleet Blakeman, who I guess is, is, um, an official with the NFL um, about that call. And here's what Blakeman had to say. Opening kickoff, the ruling on the field was that he was down by contact before the ball came loose. And so in replay, we've got a couple different components because we have a pile up in the end. So we've got to have clear evidence that there was a fumble, which we did. So he, he, he confirmed that there was a fumble. We confirmed that there was a fumble in the replay review. The second component of his it was is that was there a clear recovery and that's just what we couldn't confirm with the eagles we had on video to make it a clear recovery by philadelphia so we had to stay with the ruling on the field so what you're saying is that because you couldn't tell who exactly picked up the ball despite the fact that there were four guys wearing green and no one wearing white and silver that because you can't tell who picked up the ball by default you have to give it back to the original possessor of the ball is that what you're saying here i'm lost yeah, I mean, that explanation does nothing for me other than it just does nothing for me. I don't understand how you screw that up. If you're an NFL referee, you're supposed to be the top of the line, best referee 
and you can't even let replay help you out. It's mind boggling, man. It's absolutely mind boggling. And I don't, <laughs> I, just, uh, <laughs> I just don't, it doesn't make any, like you're just, you're saying that because you lost track of the ball, you can't tell where the ball went despite the evidence on the the replay that you're just like, uh, you know what? We don't know what happened here. So we're going to, we're just going to roll that back and give it to Dallas. I've so, never, I've never, there is going to be, believe me, there is going to be a rule change based off of this game. Mark my words. There will be something done in the off season that will prevent that from ever happening again. What was, like I said, I was watching at a sports bar that didn't have the sound on what, what happened initially after the play had ended uh, prior to the, the flag being thrown, what did they call? Because normally they at least, like, will say somebody has recovered the ball if there may or may not be a fumble. They called the runner down by contact because that's what Doug was challenging was that there was a fumble. The original ruling was that there was no fumble and that the runner was down. So that is what Doug challenged. And then through, when they watched the replay, they realized that, oh, no. We, you know, like, well, first off, Camus came out of the pile with the ball anyway. So I'm saying. On, on, should... on TV – on TV, and for those of us that could actually hear it, every I was at least like, "That's that's green ball," and so were the announcers. That's what I mean. Like as I was watching that, I, I like I kind of stopped paying attention during the the challenge portion because I couldn't hear it, and all I saw was the I kept I kept repeating, "The ball is out, the ball is out, the ball is out," because I thought that was the only thing that mattered. It shouldn't even have been a question whether the Eagles had recovered the ball or not. The only question should have been, "Was it out?" And it was so so clearly out. It's such it was. It's just such a poorly. It's 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 such a bad miss. I don't know how. I don't know how there won't be something that comes down from the league, either a a an apology and a, a, maybe not an apology, but like at least a a acknowledgement that the call was was wrong i i don't i don't I would, know. I would like to see their total response D- don't they do something like that where they review the ref's game or something i don't know exactly what it is but these referees should be punished for for this play and just terrible officiating throughout the game i mean it felt like a flag was coming out every other play in crunch time they had that call on the uh, goddard the pass to goddard that pass interference Call may like I I seriously thought I was going to throw up on the spot right there because he's hit helmet to helmet and then his helmet falls off in the end zone, but instead they call a pass interference on dude uh, that wasn't you know even, how you're, that wasn't even a love tap that was not even a love tap you know how um you're in your car sometimes and someone in front of you does something really stupid and you kind of just lean forward with your both your arms outstretched with that what are you doing face but you don't really say anything that's pretty much what what, what i was doing for like 10 minutes just kind of staring at my tv arms outstretched with this face of what in the hell is going on right now i i i just i couldn't believe that that was the call on the field and i I've, i've played football i've played hockey like i've played contact sports i could not believe that I was completely beside myself. He runs. He, there's contact within five yards. He's moving. Goddard's moving his wrist. He's pushing his wrist away. And it, it just, just due to the fact that there's two guys that are big and going at each other, they make he, they make contact. And there's helmet to helmet. And he Goddard's a big guy, so he knocks the defender back. And it's offensive pass interference. Like, dude. <laughs> oh man, that that may I don't know which one's worse. I really don't know which one's worse. They're two horrifically 
bad calls. And, yeah. oh, and then they go good. and do the then they go and do the makeup one with Wentz, which yeah, like, I was gonna we're, say, we're, yeah, we're 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 Eagles fans, so but we can still recognize that was a bogus bogus like, call. What are you supposed to do? That was a tackle, and uh, this league has gone to shit, man. I, I'm I apologize, but it's just horrific. And and we've seen we've seen the the pass. I'm sorry, the roughing the passer calls coming in where they're really soft. But yeah, that was that that was an that was an inexcusable call that once again changes the outcome of the game when you take away a momentum building touchdown to Dallas Goddard who hasn't had many big plays this season. He finally does it and. Man, I I was up and jumping around. And I saw the flag and I was like, "This can't be!" Like there was nothing on that play that could have happened. You watch the entire play go down. The only thing it could have been was helmet to helmet on an, on the defender, and that really couldn't have been the call. There wasn't just just let them play. It's Cowboys Eagles prime time game of the week, deciding playoffs, and we're we're making the refs are deciding the game. I mean, to answer your question, I think that. I think the league does review, or at least the um, the head officials do review every game, and so I think they're going to have a tough time sitting down watching that game and not talking to that crew. I really do. So I don't know if we can expect any kind of statement or anything, but I, you know, I, I like I said, I expect I expect something to happen with the rules so that 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 ridiculousness never occurs again with that pile up and fumble recovery. Yeah. <sighs> It's it. refs aside though this game should not have been won by the Eagles and it all started in the first half that was one of the most horrific just piss poor performances in a first half that I've seen in a long time and we've had some bad first half starts this season obviously having not scored in the first quarter most of the games but time of possession alone I mean you just look at that Dallas had the ball 21 minutes, 14 seconds. The Eagles had it at 8.45. It was bad, man. It was bad. And um, to not score a point in the entire half, I mean, we know that Point, they're scoring... Points aside, though. I'll, I'm sorry. I'll let you get to your point. But no, this no, is it's just, fine. It's just points aside. <clears throat> yes, they didn't score, but this was just complete lack of any... It, it would have been better if the defense got on the field as offense and tried to do something... Because the yeah. offense was 70 yards in one half. And with two minutes left, that was only at 40 yards. It was, they, it was boring football. It was, it was poorly coached football. It was poorly executed football. It, it was, I mean, without the defense, I don't, Dallas, Dallas is up, I don't know, two touchdowns, three touchdowns maybe without the defense. I mean, it's just, um, again, I, I hate to use this word, but a microcosm of the entire season. They, they can't do anything in the first a quarter they can't do anything in the first half Mike Rowe if I don't know how this dude has a job next year I really don't know how he has a job and and I it may not be fair to put it all on him because I do think Doug needs to be in needs to be involved in this conversation I wish we knew who really was calling the plays I I am leaning towards it being a combination of both of them at certain times I don't know if maybe Doug takes over in the red zone or Grow takes over in the red zone I don't know but Neither one of those dudes is getting it done right now. And Grow is, I think, just think he needs to be gone. The, the, for this offense to take this kind of negative turn after we know what this team is, uh, especially since the personnel is mostly the same, there's no excuse for this. There has to be a change. Heads have to roll. I don't care. I don't care who it is. Something has to yeah. be done because this is not, this is not okay. 
Yep, and I mean, when you say you're going to stick to the running game and then you carry the ball a total of 14 times and four of that was Carson Wentz and Josh Adams gets seven touches, that's that's just stupid. It is stupid to not stick to the game plan when you've, you... Like, he comes out and openly says, we are now going to run the ball. Josh Adams is our main guy. Seven yard. I'm sorry, seven carries for 36 yards. How how is he supposed to get in a rhythm? Please. Wait. Explain. So you're telling me that you you're telling me that you didn't predict that Wendell Smallwood second and goal red zone touch? I mean, <laughs> after he hasn't seen the field for like three games, we haven't heard his name called in ages. But <laughs> that's our man. Yeah, I mean, dial up Wendell Smallwood. I mean, absolutely. The dude's been beaten out by every running back under the sun. Uh, you know, every any team that this and any any guy that this team could scrape off the sidewalk and uh, you know just throw him in there. I mean, he's shown you something. I mean, God, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And for everybody that's you know uh, clamoring for Deuce Staley to become OC, I mean, listen, this is the guy that's in charge of their running back rotation. So uh, I, I have questions for Deuce too. Dude, what are we doing? What are we? Why is? Why are we going here? We're having this conversation again. I thought we were past it after the Redskins game, and here we are having the same conversation about why they go to Josh Adams for a couple of plays. He does well, and then they just completely go away from him. It was not like it was fourteen nothing, twenty one nothing, and and uh, script game script was against the run. That that wasn't the case at all. It was three to nothing for three quarters. And it's it's just unbelievable that they don't call any run plays when you watch Dallas, who somehow finds a way to get off 54 pass attempts and still give Zeke 28 carries. I mean, that's that's how you gain yards. You got to feed the beast. You can't just expect the beast to take three bites and be a monster. You know, he needs his protein. Oh, man. I mean, where do we go next? I mean, that's another thing. Dak throws for 450 yards against this this patchwork defense, and I know that they're patchwork, and I get it, but, oh, man, we got we got to start having conversations about Jim Schwartz. We got to start having conversations about the guys that can't stay healthy and haven't helped this team like Jordan Yeah, I Hicks. mean, we've been having that. – that is a great point. That is a, He is someone who <laughs> – I think linebacker needs to be assessed. I really do. But there's a lot of spots that need to be assessed. Something that just sickens me is that Amari Cooper comes in and gets 217 yards and three touchdowns because that's the one guy that you don't want to hurt you. That's the one guy who you know that they got specifically to hurt you. And yet it, it seemed like they were just running the same go route and getting toasted every time, no matter who was on him. I know Bousby got burnt the one time and... Quite frankly, if we're putting our, our future in Sidney Jones's hands, I'm a little bit worried after that game because he looked just atrocious. Well, yeah, I had two thoughts about Sidney, and uh, yeah, he didn't look good. He he hasn't he hasn't been able to stay healthy. He hasn't looked. He's he's flashed here and there, but yeah, he. I think we have to remember this kid's 22. Um, he is so young. I mean, I, it's it's so rare to come into this league. Some guys can come in and be stars right away, but that's rare. You know, look at Brandon Graham. Brandon Graham took seven years to arrive. Uh, I think that we can't give up on Sidney Jones yet. And look at the role that he's been thrust into. It's not like he's had two to three years to learn a system and to get in play. I mean, he missed a whole year. This is really his first year, isn't it? And so we, uh, I think the hype around him is 
perhaps large. Yes, the hype around him is larger than what he's been able to show you right now. I don't think that's indicative of the player that he is, though. I think he's going to be a very good player in this league. He's not playing very well right now, but no one is on the defense. Who's playing well besides Malcolm Jenkins and Fletcher Cox and Michael Bennett? I mean, that's it. Yeah, no. I mean, I get because we go to the last play of the game, but otherwise, Rasul Douglas has showed flashes of hope. I, <laughs> I don't know. A, he had a good game, dude. I mean, Rasul Douglas showed me he can play. That's one thing. Did he have a horrifically bad mistake in the end of the game? Yes, but that can happen, and that has happened to better players. Um, and that was awful to see as a fan. And you feel for him. You know, you feel for him with that. He made a nice play. It didn't go his way. It, <laughs> it took a crazy bounce. It ends up in the end zone. It's unfortunate. But I tell you what, the kid played his butt off. So does he still have a lot to learn? Yeah, do. But you look at Rasul and Sydney, and I think that you've got two guys who can play corner in this league for you down the road. So, And maybe even safety with, with Rasul. So I'm not giving up on those guys yet. I'm not. I guess Sydney Jones has frustrated me more because <clears throat> – it seems like he wasn't seeing the ball. He he always had his head turned the wrong way and was just getting burnt, whereas Rasul made a few really nice plays. And I don't know about you, but on that last play, I jumped up and like was about to thrust my fist in excitement that he had made a nice play on the ball and kept it out, but somehow it falls right into Cooper's hands and it's like slow motion into the end zone as... You watched the season end, and I, I stood in awe with my head, um, with my hands on my head for a good five minutes straight because that's just the kind of play that we deserve to have happen to us to end this season, really. Oh, I mean, <laughs> to it was be just quite honest. It was that it was, it was just sickening. I mean, you never, obviously, you never want to see that. It, it was obviously sickening. And you just, again, I, I you kind of just you kind of just sit there and go. I actually laughed. I laughed out a huge laugh. I thought I was going to wake my daughter up. I just, I just, I just, just deep bellow come out of my come out of my mouth. I was just like laughing, not hysterically, but just that kind of laugh where you kind of go insane. And um, yes, it was yes, just, yes. I, I I didn't know what else to do. It was just it was just like had the Eagles won, I would have. I wouldn't have been so I would have been as surprised as that result, <laughs> the same result that happened. So, oh, man, I think we kind of just got to turn our focus right now. And I want to say uh, again, I want to talk about the defense because um, I'm conflicted because I feel like Jim Schwartz shouldn't have a job after this year because you here, here's one thing, you know, coming into this game, you said it. Uh, they got Amari Cooper for one reason. The dude runs one route. He runs a slant. That's it. And it's the one route that kills Jim Schwartz's defense. It's the one route that he does not adjust at all because it's not a what because it's not a chunk yardage gain or because it won't lead to a scoring chance because the analytics behind it say that uh, it's our Ben but but don't break method can you know uh, you know we'll be fine when we get to the red zone, dude. They gashed your defense for 450 yards. Yeah. Like, come yeah. on. I know that wasn't all through the air. That was partly Zeke, too. But, dude, you could not stop Amari Cooper. You could not make a stop on a slant. You couldn't stop anybody. They went up and down the field at will. And, sure, they couldn't score in the red zone. It doesn't matter. They did whatever they wanted. That was uh, – there's no adjustments being made by, by Jim Schwartz. And, that, and that's what frustrates me with him. And, I again, I, I know that you're missing – so many guys. I get that. But, dude, make an adjustment. Yeah, it's 
it's just unbelievable that Prescott can go for 455 on anybody. I mean, he shows he threw a few nice passes, but the reason the Eagles were in that game was because Dak Prescott couldn't make the pass when it mattered the most. Otherwise, this game could have been a blowout very early and very easily. Well, I think that's what's frust- even more frustrating is the cherry on top because the, the Cowboys aren't a good team. They're 8-5, and five, but they've been the beneficiary of one of the worst NFC Easts that I can remember. I mean, going back years, I mean, and the Eagles are a part of that. The Eagles, the Redskins, and the Giants are all trash. I mean, they've, they've feasted on an awful division. They have eight wins, but how many of them are quality? I yeah, mean, yes, then- they, beat, they, beat, they beat the... The Saints, yes, they, they did very well against the Saints. Defense stepped up. The Saints were due for a regression game. But they're going to go to the first round. They're probably going to be the fourth seed, and they're going to lose. That's what sucks. Yeah. And when you look at it, we could have gone in at halftime despite all the terrible statistics, all the terrible performances. There was a chance to go in down 3 nothing at halftime, if not for like a miraculous 62-yard field goal that was set up I believe there was a penalty called that pushed them out of field goal range, but somehow it was still field goal range. But nonetheless, we were almost gift-wrapped, a 3 nothing deficit getting the ball to start the second half. It's just... I don't know, man. As you can tell, just no words. It's, it I, been, it's full gold if you win that game, and it's it's just... I'm not even heartbroken. I guess that's it, that's it today. Is I, I, I expected us to go in there and win. I didn't expect us to lose. But the fact that they lost that game does not surprise me, and it almost just makes it easier to not get our hearts stomped out by the Rams or the Texans. Yeah, uh, and so my here, here's my question for you um, to pivot a little bit because uh, I know you were kind of hot on this last week. Where are we at with Carson right now? Oh, dude, I mean, oh. I'm not going to lie. There was a few I think Texans. I'm in a different spot than you, but I want to hear what you think. So there was a few texts sent at halftime saying, and, and they were heated and I was emotional. So they might not have been the most, you know, factually supportive statements, but I sent a few texts out that said, Hey, there's the guy sitting on our bench right now that won three straight games and led us to a Super Bowl championship. Maybe we give him a shot since we can only score zero points and get 70 yards in the first half. Now, he showed us some like it's so frustrating because he'll show some flashes with some good passes, but I still think that the negatives have outweighed the positives. And if you're really going to be that elite franchise quarterback, you have to be able to rally the troops and get your team ready and just make the plays that whether they're easy plays or not, there was a few balls that were just not thrown well. I mean, a lot of balls that weren't thrown well, thrown well, but. You got a guy like Alshon Jeffrey. There was one deep ball that Jeffrey had to like dive for where it went through his hands, and that's a pass where I think Carson just needs to hit him in stride. There was another pass where he had to reach backwards. Like There's a few that are hitting guys in the hands, but they're not good passes. So what I see is a guy that's not able to step up when it matters most and make the plays that, while they might not be routine plays, they're the plays you expect. The second overall pick and someone that the city has essentially made the god of football like we have we have labeled him as our lord and savior Carson Wentz and I just think whether it's too I don't know if it's too much pressure obviously the knee injury is still bothering him in my opinion 
he has he you can see that he's not making good throws because he's not fall I don't know if it's falling through. I'm not sure exactly what the technicality is, but it's just clear that he's not finishing throws and doesn't have the same pinpoint accuracy that he had last year. I think it's fair to say that he has not made the throws. Um, I think it's fair to say that he has not made good decisions. I think it's fair to to say that he is not comfortable stepping up in the pocket or escaping the way that he did last year. And that should be expected coming off of major knee surgery. It's probably going to be another year before we see him back to any semblance of, of that. I have to wonder if he's nervous about stepping up or escaping or if he's nervous he's going to plant and, and you know, do the same thing again. I, I have to wonder if that's the case. And I do think that there is a degree of that present. But, yes, he's not making the throws, at least in the first half, which is weird because he comes out in the second half in most of these games and he looks fine and we go, all right, there's Carson. But what's happening in the first half? Why is this a first half thing that it's going on? Which leads me to believe that it's that we can't just yes, we can we can say he's a big boy, he can take it, he knows the pressure. We can say that yes, Carson is is not getting his part of the job done in the first half. He's not making whether he's not going through his progressions, he's making the all advised throws uh, outside of anybody, you know, besides Ertz. He's not he's not attempting his downfield passes are, are they're overthrown. So I don't, I don't know. There's something going on in the first in the first half of games, but then I also have to ask myself, what is? Are these plays that are being called? Are they putting him in the best position? Um, and I, I can't answer that because I also feel like there is. We have to have a lot of questions for this coaching staff. I mean, a design run on towards their best defensive player on third and and one. Like, what is that garbage? I mean, yeah. why? I don't get it. And he's coming to the sideline, and I'll tell you what, he looks frustrated. He looks frustrated, and I don't know if it's frustration at himself or if he's frustrated because of what's being called. It's hard. It's, you have to wonder. Yeah, I'd really like to be a bug on the wall in the coaching in the coaches' meetings to like figure out what exactly the strategy is because we don't really know who to put the blame on, but clearly it's a combination of – Offense and defense, but offensively, anybody involved in the offensive play calling is making the wrong calls, and then nobody is – whoever's making the main calls, none of the support coaches or whomst ever, they're not with, talking in his ear saying, hey, these are bad calls. We should probably change it. And I don't know if – like, is the quarterback able to – I know audibles, you can change it, but well, couldn't Carson just read that that is an awful call? <laughs> yeah, you would think like it's coming. The call's coming in. And he's got to be like, yeah, that's garbage. I'm not doing that. But I, so I don't know if if he had how much freedom he has to do it. It certainly seemed like he had that freedom last year. I mean, for all the listen, here's what I'm gonna say. For all the people on Twitter that are giving up on him, you gotta remember this. All right, he still got 21 TDs, seven interceptions, 70 percent passer uh, accuracy. Excuse me, and he is the seventh best passer rating in the NFL at 102.2. So. And that's a year after ACL surgery. You can't give up on this guy. Yes, we can be critical of him and say that he's not um, hes not playing at the level he was last year. But again, I think we have to kind of, I don't want to say give him an out, but it'd be crazy for us, I think, to start questioning his um, talent level. For me, it's more of, 
I don't know. It's more of a symptom of, of what ails this team all over, and that's coaching. It, come, it comes back to coaching for me all over. Because if it was just Carson underperforming, I think we might be able to, to pinpoint some of those reasons a little bit more easily. But it's everybody. It's the whole team. It's the entire team. And to me, that's coaching. Yeah, so, I mean, just to wrap up the Eagles, the season's uh, effectively over. And it hurts to say, but as I was telling you earlier, it's it's almost like relief that we can stop pretending that we still have a chance and just look forward. One thing that I want to touch on before we uh, talk some other sports and some other stories, um, Golden Tate, that, that move just looks... I don't want to say it looks worse because perhaps we're just not using them the right way. But when you see the Cowboys went out and got Amari Cooper and he drops 217 yards, three touchdowns on us, and then Golden Tate has what? One reception in that entire game? Uh, yeah, one reception, seven yards, three targets. Like, was that, was that really a move that we're going to look back on and be like, why the hell did we even do that? Especially if he's going to be like a rental player. I'm going to withhold judgment on that for right now, because I don't think he's, I'm going to go ahead and say, I don't think he's being utilized properly. I, I don't, I don't think, I mean, just look at what Gross said a couple weeks ago about it's, we're having trouble implementing him or whatever he said. I mean, it, I don't have a lot of trust and faith in this coaching staff right now. I think that's quite obvious by my statements. So I'm withholding judgment on that. I think he's a guy who wants to be involved. I, I think Carson probably wants to get him involved too. But I think you also got to remember that um, that chemistry doesn't happen immediately. As, even though we, we sit here and we kind of think like it should, eh, it's probably a little more complicated than that. So I'm going to give a slight benefit of the doubt. But again – I still think it, this. I still think this coaching staff needed to figure out how to make it happen. So I'm withholding judgment until there are ch- coaching staff changes, and maybe we get a new OC in here, somebody who is advising Doug a little bit better on what the offensive game plan is going to be. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. I'm not ready to dismiss him yet. Fair enough, you know, and and we're not coaches. I mean, you're a coach of, of sports, but we're not NFL um, caliber coaches. So I guess we'll leave it up to them to try and figure that out. But for the time being, the Eagles season is kind of over. It's been really nice uh, just getting to go week to week and really talk passionately about our birds. So I'm going to be sad. I mean, we'll still talk about the games as they go uh, closing out the season, but just want to say it's been fun this year uh, having a chance to defend our Super Bowl title, but back to being Birds fans. Yeah, I mean, and listen, I'll say this before we close out the Birds, but it's just, this isn't over, all right? For those of you listening out there, this isn't over. I don't think this is over. I don't think Pete thinks this is over. I think we're a little down right now because – and there's a reason for that because we won the Super Bowl. We're down because this team should be better. So is it – this is not us sitting here saying, oh, rinse and repeat, same old, same old. No, this is – we really thought this was going to be better. We just won the Super Bowl. We had high expectations. So there is something to be said with that, and there are going to be high expectations coming into the season next year. We're going to be saying the same old thing. So this isn't over. This team has some things to figure out internally, and I think if we can do that, maybe um, bring some guys in from the outside and get rid of this internal hiring crap um, – and let Howie do his thing, I think we're right back in this. Yeah, and, and I also want to 
say when I when I say it's over, I'm just talking about this season and the fact that we are still in the running for an NFC East championship uh, speaks on how this division's wide open going forward. I don't see the Cowboys. I mean, that Cowboys defense, they look good. And, you know, you have Ezekiel Elliott. But Dak Prescott doesn't scare me as the quarterback of the future for the NFC East. Right now, the Giants have Saquon, which is kind of scary, but they don't really have a quarterback either. And I think the Redskins had a fluke few uh, weeks, and that's about it, and they're going to go back to being the Redskins. So we'll do a whole episode, or or we'll do a special segment at the end of the year about where we think this team needs to improve specifically. But my initial thoughts are we need to get a little bit younger. Um <laughs> In the trenches, I think, especially. And I know I know we have a scary defensive line, but they get like the guys who came through last season just looked older this year. And the offensive line, I think it's time that we kind of swallow our pride with guys like JP and say, Thank you for a Hall of Fame career. You're awesome. You could probably be a phenomenal coach. You were like a phenomenal coach last year when you were injured. But I think it's time to hang up the cleats, big big man, because you know, getting burnt and having Carson blindsided for fumbles is, is getting old. And it, whether we get on Carson for that, I get that he holds it a lot, but you need your big boy to defend the quarterback. And JP's just, you know, he's getting too old. And it's all right. Thank you for the time. But there's a time and a place where you just got to realize, look yourself in the mirror and say, I don't have what it takes to compete at the highest level. And it's, a, it's hurting my team and my myself. So. I agree with that. They got to get younger on the offensive line. And I think that that will be um, one area that they do target in the, in the draft. If not first, uh, they have two second rounds uh, picks. So they, uh, I think that they will look at offensive line and defensive line, like you said, is good, but I think you are seeing, you saw this year that it's not, we, we thought coming to this year that we did, we have this big, bad defensive line, and, you know, all you need is pressure up front. Well, you need a lot more than that. So <laughs> you need you need a middle linebacker who's not going to get hurt every single year. But we'll touch on that later. <laughs> if we get talking about Jordan Hicks, we could have a whole episode on Jordan Hicks and oh, how, man. How, really all that linebacking core. And I don't know, man. I, I'm I, I was pissed off going into this game that freaking uh, I get that we made a comment about Dallas choking because that's just that's just locker room talk. That's you're already down three nothing at that point. Yeah, you kind of knew he can he comes out with that, and you're kind of like, oh, dude, this is especially not... especially him. It was yeah. Like, if somebody's well, gonna I, make I that, I don't mind Camus, but uh, yeah, it's not like he's not a star player, <laughs> and he kind of you may he makes that statement. And you're like, dude, this is not like we're not like we're not nine and you know four right now. We're not, you know, we're six and six. Like, come on, give us a break. So um, really, it, it wasn't that... really. All that does is feed the Dallas fans once they win. And oh, absolutely. I I don't want to even talk about it, so we'll just move on. All right, real quickly, we're gonna talk Temple football just for one second. Um I was I was just so heated the other day when Justin texts me and all he says is Jeff Collins and I I didn't even need to look at any newspaper. I was like, We lost him. <laughs> and I really just didn't see that coming uh, one bit. I guess I should have. Um, he's from Georgia. He loves Georgia. So going to uh, an ACC team in Georgia Tech for that head coaching uh, vacancy is the next step in his career, I guess. But I, 
I'm just sick and tired of Temple being a stepping stool for coaches. And it's just such short term. Like Matt Rule brought this team to new heights that we've never seen before. You would uh, he's finally bringing in bigger name recruits because we're having games like a Notre Dame college game day primetime uh Saturday night game where Temple's competitive and very much so could have won the game. All the momentum's building. He has four phenomenal seasons and then leaves us. So we get this new guy, Jeff Collins, finally gets a chance to be a head coach. Kind of mediocre, I guess. I mean, he did great. He did great things for the school, but losing the first two games this season screwed Temple for any chances of being legitimately thought of as the AAC team who can be in the rankings and play in a bigger bowl game. So he never really showed me anything that was stellar coaching. And then he just abandons the program after two seasons. And I saw a tweet from Ryquel Armstead that said something along the lines of, I've been here for four seasons or five, five seasons, whatever, and seen four different coaches just shout out to the players or something, something like that. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it's just so hard to establish Temple as a program that's going to be able to recruit big enough players to be competitive on the national stage when you have coaches who just use this school as a stepping stool. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a shame because they're, they're a Big Ten school, right? Like, it's not like a – right? But their Temple's in the Big Ten now, right? No, I've lost – We're, we're no, American Athletic no. Conference. Oh, why did I think they moved Temple? I don't know. That's Rutgers and Maryland. Maybe I thought that they were – because you know what? Because there was talks years ago that they were trying to move Temple in. But – it's not like Temple is like this low hang fruit. They're, they've come a long way. So it's really kind of, I kind of get it, like the lore of the Southeast Conference and the lore of the Big 12 and Big 10 and all that. It's the goal of a coach is to get to the highest level, right? And so it's unfortunate that Temple is a, right now they, they are at that stepping stone school. I mean, there's a positive to look at that though, because, um, that means that, that you can kind of look at that as they're on, they're an up and coming team. Um, Matt rule did a lot of really good there. And I think, uh, trust me, I listen to sports radio and I know you do too. A lot of those guys, a lot of the guys around here were sick when Matt rule left. I mean, he was, oh God, yeah. he was well, well liked in this city. Um, and this city loves its college teams. So yeah, it, it's unfortunate. They need to really try to find a way to get a coach in here that will commit. Now, at, you know, coaches, like I said, coaches want to, they want those big, shiny, cushy jobs. So whether or not you can believe a guy like that, I don't know, but you need, yeah, to, I don't I, know. I think that's the thing is Matt rule seemed to be that guy and he was there for four seasons and it didn't seem like he was going to be leaving. He was building a strong recruiting class and everybody felt he was finally becoming the face of temple football and then just abandoned us for a, a Baylor team that was in all sorts of scandals and, I mean, I think that one really proved that money talks and a team that's going to be more than a rebuilding process. And I don't know, man, it's just, I want to, I want to say temples like the VCU and the Butler of football where those teams are the basketball teams, but it's just, it's just, I mean, I I know I I feel for you, man. I I feel for you within that regard. And I kind of, you know, now that I have a family of a daughter, um, I can understand the money aspect of it. You can set your family up for life. Not that he probably wasn't getting paid well at Temple. He was probably doing pretty well, but 
you know, the, the promise of fame and glory and further riches is hard for a middle-aged guy to turn down, I guess, you know, so I'm, you know, we, it's hard for us to relate to that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I think what, I don't know if it would be the right move, but I think what would ultimately need to be done is that you bring in somebody with ties to temple who truly loves the school who can also make the progress that these coaches who aren't from temple have been doing because that way he would be committed to making a school that he's tied to and really passionate about a relevant school instead of I'm coming here so that I can coach a mid-level division one team in hopes of stepping up to a bigger division one team. And what I've, I guess what we've seen now is that's kind of a two to four year process is really all you're going to get out of a coach like that. Yeah. Um, and that is, but, but again, I think that the, the university needs to make it a priority in their, in their search for a coach that they, and again, I don't know that they can really stipulate anything, but they, they, they need to search for someone who is going to, you know, they want to build this program. They have to have an interest in building the temple brand and the temple program and, and, and grow a family here. And so maybe they search for someone younger. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't. It's such, it's such a compelling debate, I guess, because first off, I, I'm almost certain that in a coaching interview, they're not saying like, yeah, I'm here looking to uh, be a head coach for two to four years and then move up. I'm sure they're going to, whether they really mean it or not, they're saying I'm here for the long haul. I'm here to build this program. And then they go to a bigger team, uh, leave before the bowl game and, I, I kind of think that's cowardly to do. I don't know if that's a an extreme statement, but coach the bowl game. Maybe the players aren't aren't for that, but I, I would say by blindsiding a team and then just running away, that's kind of cowardly. You know, that always bothered me. I'm kind of glad you said that. It always bothered me, and I get the logistics of it because you need to get you need to start recruiting. You need to hit the road. Uh, so that you can get players to sign. I know you're up against the clock with that, but yeah, I agree. Coach the ball game. I, I've never, I've always hated that, that it, the timeline with college football where you have to agree in December and then you have to um, immediately leave. I never agree with that. I, I think that's, I don't, yeah, I just never agree with it. I don't, you know, and I, I get that. I wish there was a way that they could stay with their team, but recruit for the, I know that it would never work. I, I get yeah. it's not possible, but yeah, I never agree with that. You make a commitment to your guys. You see it through for the whole season. Yep. Well, I think that's enough Temple football because I am now uh, very riled up. And Ed Foley, uh, who's been a coach at Temple for 11 seasons, uh, has gone to coach the Independence Bowl and, um, looks like he's going to interview for the head coaching spot for the first time um, ever in his 11 seasons because I think he's done this a few times. Yeah, he coached in the 2016 uh, Military Bowl as well. So maybe that could be the move. Hire somebody from uh, completely different than the Eagles. Maybe hire somebody from within who has been at Temple for 11 seasons and truly just wants to see this program reach new heights. And he can take some of the um, characteristics that he saw under Rule and Collins and build his own program. I think it says he was a head coach at Fordham um, in from 2004 to 2005. But the experience at Temple might be might be enough to make him a better candidate than somebody from the outside. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I hope it works out. I mean, I'm not a Temple fan, but, you know, it's, huh. a, it's a city school. I, hey, thanks, I support, man. Hey, I support my city schools, so I hope that they, you know, get somebody in there that, want, again, wants to build the program up. Yeah, so that's it for Temple football. Uh, we're going to move on now to our loving 76ers, and uh, I guess we'll keep these next two segments just a little bit more brief because— Who are beating the Pistons oh. 78, 74, excuse me, to 65 without— okay. Blake Griffin tonight. Uh, finally, sick and tired of seeing Blake Griffin. Seems um, like we've played them quite a bit, but I did yeah, find I out this this is the last time we play them. So um, this is the fourth time in the final time. So, but yeah, I texted you earlier or somebody earlier. I was like, why do we keep playing the Pistons? <laughs> yeah, right. Whatever. We're playing pretty well against them now. Ever since that loss on their uh, floor, but this past week saw. A one thirteen to one oh two loss in Toronto and then the one seventeen to one eleven victory at home on Friday. Oh, that Toronto game, dude. Like ah oh, we got so amped for that was Monday, right? That was last Monday. And we got yeah. so amped for that. And I was looking at that as sort of a litmus test and I was like, All right, we got JB now. Joel's playing you know, he's playing ridiculous. Uh Ben's starting to figure it out. So let's see what we can do. And they helped they went in fairness, they were with them. They held on for a lot longer than they did the prior time, but they just fell apart in the fourth quarter. That was kind of sad to see. Um, that's uh, what you just, can't – that's – like, yes, it's great that they held on longer, but ultimately it looks like they need one – some sort of piece that can get them over the top, top-tier teams. We, yeah. we've, we've seen them beat lower-level teams, and we've see, seen them beat a team like, you know, the Grizzlies, who are playing well, but they're not really somebody who's like, whoa, the Grizzlies scare me. We need them to beat a team like the Raptors, like the Celtics. It might take another piece. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I think I it's do, definitely going to take another yeah, piece. Yeah, they're another piece away, and I think it's another – like shooting guard type piece because I think Chandler's a, he's doing fine at four and Muscal doesn't do much for me but um yeah they need another piece another maybe another guy that can um just take the ball when you need something you know either when you need someone who's defensively responsible number one someone who is not going to turn the ball over because I know that Jimmy has been getting a little upset about that. Um, and, you know, there was a, there was, um, and the guys that are close to the court were saying, you know, he was going around trying to, trying to pump everybody up, like telling, um, telling guys like, yo, you got to protect the ball, like all this stuff, which I like, I'm, I'm good with that. You need to get in guys grills and tell them to stop, stop turning the ball. You can't have 20, 20 turnovers. You can't do it against Toronto. No, it's unacceptable. You can't do it against Toronto and they made him pay for it. So, yeah, and Ben and Joe are a big part of that. So I think um, if anybody's talking about, you know, I know we were talking before this, like with, with what Joel said about um, yeah, you know, came I, out and, I have his comment up here. Yeah, actually, do you want to I'll read, read it real quickly. Yeah. So I guess to, to Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, this is what Joel said. Um, where did that just go? What the heck? Okay. I haven't been myself lately says Embiid, who was held out of Friday's game against the Pistons by coach Brett Brown. I think it's mainly because of the way I've been used, which is, oh, these ads are popping up. Essentially saying he's been used as like a stretch five. Mm-hmm. Um, he's being used as a spacer so that there's more room for Butler to attack. And it actually says that Brett Brown always has me starting on the perimeter and it really frustrates me. That right there sounds like it's more on Brett Brown and Jimmy Butler. 
Yeah, that was an interesting statement. And and you know Joe's not one to mince words, but I was I was very intrigued that he he kind of called Brett out there a little bit, kind of questioning his lineup decisions and, and kind of game plan. Uh, so that kind of made me a little bit nervous. But then I was texting back and forth with my brother who is kind of in the know and, and he's on Twitter a lot like I am. He, he seemed to think that I was taken out of context, which – could be completely true. So yeah, there was also a tweet. There was a tweet put out by John Johnson of WIP. Uh, It says, please do not pay any mind to careless national media columns suggesting Jimmy Butler's causing a problem with Embiid. He's just frustrated with his play and Embiid liked that. So I don't know if that's like official, uh, everything's gooch, but um, yeah, I'm not sure. That's just, I don't, I don't, I don't believe for a second that there's a problem with Jimmy Butler. Like I said, He's going around and pumping guys up, telling, yo, hang on to the ball, talking to TJ, doing whatever, you know, saying, telling guys to be, you know, confident and don't turn the ball over. I have no problem with that whatsoever. You need a guy like that. So it can't just be like, uh, you know, pats on the behind and uh, good job and, uh, you know, all this other stuff. It's got to be like, yo, man, let's go protect the ball. We need to you, – you, you're giving away – when you go up against Toronto, a team that's supposed to be a litmus test for you, and you do that, there should be some frustration. There should be a guy that is on the court holding everybody accountable. And here we go, you know, with Detroit coming back at 73, 70, 76, 73 now. So here, um, I just watched the last five minutes, and you know what? They, they're missing shots and turning the ball over. So this is, you need a guy that's going to hold this team accountable. They're not there yet. They need to realize they're not there yet, and they need to continue to keep working. You know, and I, I've been very frustrated with Joe. I, I mean, Joel's been playing MVP caliber, but I have been frustrated with the way he's always out there on the perimeter. He's always trying to shoot three pointers. And if that, I, I thought that was more on him where he was trying to build himself into a shooter and not so much a back to the basket guy. Maybe that's on Brown. Maybe it's on him. I really just think he needs to sit in the paint. They need to feed him the ball back to the basket. Let him. He has some incredible moves back to the basket because he can get in the post and turn around and do that little, you know, the move where he like rips it through and always gets the foul call, or he tries to oh, do yeah. some, tries to do some dribble moves, which it looks slow, but I mean he's a big man, so he kind of pulls it off. But when he goes straight back to the basket and just bullies people, he can be a dominant force, and there's no need to get out on the perimeter. No, and uh, listen, I'm with you. I have no issues with Joel. Joel's been playing lights out, but he also got owned by Serge Ibaka in in that Toronto game, which was really weird. I mean, he got owned by Ibaka, and who was the other guy? Um, who was the other big guy that kind of handled him a little bit? Uh, what is it? It was Valanciunas. Like Valanciunas. Both of, both of those guys owned and beat all night. And you can't win games like that where your best player only only scores ten points. And this is the Boston thing, right? This is the um, what's Al that word? Al, this is the Al Horford thing. Hey, well, he, he has to he has to he has to shake these demons. He has to because you can't be getting shut down by guys like this. All all due respect to Al Horford and Aaron Baines, but listen, you're not Joel Embiid, and he needs to go out there and under and understand that too. Those guys are not up to his level. So he needs to play better. And I think the Sixers did the right thing by sitting him down. I think they realized he was tired. He was dragging. He is a seven-foot, what, two? Uh, 
center in this league, he can't play 28 to 30 minutes a night or 38 minutes or whatever it was that he played. You can't do that with him every night. Yeah, we'll we'll see where he goes with that. I, I would really like to see that score turn around. It looks like uh, what it's is eighty it, to seventy three now. Okay, so pulling away a little bit, but really looking forward. Uh, the schedule looks pretty easy, or not easy per se, but it's a, a couple of games that are should wins coming up this week. Uh, you got the Nets on Wednesday at home, and then I guess the Pacers are a pretty good test on Friday. Um, we'll see about that, but Christmas Day, man. That's really what we're looking at. We are really looking at that Christmas Day matchup with the Boston Celtics. That's going to let me know, is this team really competitive or are we just another three or four seed that's going to do three or four seed stuff? Although, isn't Boston struggling right now? Uh, Let me check the good old sports reference. (laughs) I don't know, but I do know that there's actually before that, that's a two-game stretch that's huge. You got the Raptors coming in at home on Saturday the 22nd, and then you travel up to Boston for that Christmas Day game. So you're facing two of the best teams in the league back-to-back games. That's really going to be a kind of show-yourself moment. Yeah, I mean, they're 15-10. and Um, They have, uh, let's see, they've won five in a row. Before that, they were one for five or one yes. for four or something along those lines. So after going, uh, after going one and four, they've routed off five straight. So, yeah, I guess it's another thing where it kind of comes in streaks and I think they're, they're putting it together, but you look, you look at, um, <clears throat> Raptors, Celtics, jazz, trailblazers, Clippers, that's going to be five big games come December 22nd through uh new year's day. We're really going to find out what this team's made of, I think, at that point. And hopefully we can build some momentum in the Nets, Pacers, Cavs, Spurs, and Knicks games leading up to that to kind of push us into that five-game stretch where you got to go at least three and two. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like I said, um, some of the – I'm always looking at those games – uh, the games against the, the top play teams as tests for the for this team. I need to see them take take uh, Toronto and or take a game from Boston in an indecisive fashion because that's going to tell me that it, it's in there somewhere. You know, um, until they do that, you're right. I think they are going to be a three to four seed that is going to kind of just be on the perimeter and um, they'll have a nice regular season. They'll win forty five to fifty games, but when it all comes down to it they can't beat the the, be- the best teams in the division so i think we're going to find a lot of it out a lot about them in the coming months and only tab will tell but still it's still looking hopeful for them there's no need there's no need to throw on any sort of panic mode but definitely need to see that uh yeah no so we'll move on now uh we're running not short on time but we'll definitely start wrapping up this edition of flying high with the flyers uh justin what what went on with the flyers this week Oh, my orange and black, my orange and black. So, you know, we're, we're in the Chuck Fletcher era now. Um, we said goodbye to, uh, our sweet Prince Ron Hextall, uh, last week, two weeks ago, something like that. It seems like the time and we're in a vortex right now, but, uh, Fletcher is getting his, he's getting his money's worth right now, acclimating himself to what he got himself into. Uh, and I think he's kind of, you know, he's had the chance to watch, I think, four four or five games at this point. Um, you know, they lost a 
played well against Columbus, who's a, who's a pretty good team, and lost in overtime on a really bad play. Then they go and beat the Sabers uh, five to two, who have been who are on a ten game win streak and have have really been the surprise of the league. And then yesterday they fall completely flat on their face against Winnipeg, who is a legit Stanley Cup contender. But I think every problem that they've been having in this season was shown in that game, goaltending, number one, um, inability to finish chances. The PK was three for six. <laughs> Winnipeg power play scored three times. I mean, it's so there's still every time this team, and I think this is what Fletcher is seeing now, every time this team gives you a reason or like a ray of hope, they snatch it right away. They just, this team just does not know what it wants to be. They don't know they're just not a team that does anything particularly well. And I think that is what's super frustrating given the talent level. Um, they don't do anything, any one thing particularly well. They're crazy and consistent. One day they look incredible. The next day they look like they're playing beer league. Um, and I played beer league before. So, you know what? Hey, we try so you uh, got for the flyers. <laughs> so I, I don't, there's not, it's frustrating to talk about the Flyers right now because there's really no um, immediate fix. There's no one that you can bring up that's going to provide an immediate relief. There's no one that they can go out and trade for that's going to make this team a playoff contender. Um, they are just what they are right now. And Fletcher's biggest task is right now to figure out who moving forward is going to be part of the core that they're going to keep. Um, you know, 10 years ago, Paul Holmgren had to decide that. Mike Richards and Jeff Carter were part of their core moving forward after the lockout more than 10 years ago, but after the lockout and they traded away guys like Peter Forsberg, they brought in guys like Kimo Timonen and Chris Pronger and uh, Ray Emery and, and that team became a cup contending team. So he needs to do the same thing here. He's got a bunch of picks, a bunch of prospects. He's got so much at his disposal. He needs to figure out who is going to be on this team moving forward when they want to contend. And he needs to figure out, what he's willing to give up to go out and get what's missing. So he's got a lot. Um, he's got a lot on his list. Yeah, he 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 really he's got a lot on his plate. And, yes, uh, is the fan base? Do you feel that they will be um, patient with him, or are we kind of pressing at this point? To be honest with you, man, I I, I kind of question the pulse of the of the fan base right now because they, it's really the whole Hextall regime has really worn on this fan base. I'm I'm a little worried um, about the fan base because um, this is a traditionally passionate fan base, and um, I think that the the people who are kind of on the bubble, who are who kind of show up when hockey's good in the city, those people aren't around right now. Uh, and they're not tuning in to games and they certainly probably don't even know who Chuck Fletcher is and that he's been hired. So that, you know, it's sort of the nature of hockey sometimes, but uh, I think the fans are in wait and see mode with the, the, the diehards are in wait and see mode with Fletcher. They, 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 they want a coaching change, I think, but I, I think realistically they have to expect that Dave Haxtell is going to be given the season at least until after Christmas. I think because Joel Quenville has said, We've talked about Quenville quite a bit. He has said, Mala. yeah, he said that he wants to wait till after the holidays. He, he's getting paid $6 million to sit on his butt. Dude, he's got um, a nice life. So there's no reason why, at least I wouldn't want to give up $6 million to come and coach a team mid-year. I would just wait. So I think um, all those big coaching changes are probably going to wait until the end of the year. What he can do is go out and get a goalie, though. Um, 
what he needs to do is is weigh kind of his options with that because you don't want to go out and get and do like a Brzezgalov deal where you give a guy 10, 10, 10 years, 50 million when you have Carter Hart in the wings. You don't want to mess with that. But if there is a shorter term solution, maybe a two to three year solution, uh, shorter term solution, you can go out and get that makes sense. Like a, like it did with Steve Mason. Um, I think he needs to explore that. Uh, so there, there's goalie that needs to be addressed because goalie's goalie's really bad. But um, you know, moving forward, what I what I want to just say about the Flyers is that we have to talk about Claude Giroux. I mean, Claude Giroux is where would this team be at with without this guy? And he gets so much hate. He every time this is what I hate about the Flyers about Flyers Twitter mostly because whenever this team is struggling, it's always Trey Giroux. Trey Giroux, he's not a captain. He's not a real captain. Well, dude, what do you want him to do, dude? Like, he's on a 109-point pace right now. He has 30, 36 points in 29 games. You don't know what you're talking about if you think that Claude Giroux needs to be traded or that he isn't a good captain. What, is it, what does the C do anyway? I hate that whole conversation. Strip the C. Strip the C. Take the C away from him. What do you think the C does? It's ceremonial. It means he can go talk to the refs. Like, that's what the C means, dude. So enough with the C stuff. This guy is criminally underappreciated in this town and in this league, and I'm tired of it. This is this when it's all said and done. And this is the last thing I'm going to say. When it's all said and done, when Clojure's career is over and when he ends it as a flyer, he will go down as one of the best players in this city's history, and he will be underappreciated for most of his time here. That's quite a shame. Yeah, and I mean I'm guilty as charged of sometimes wondering um, and been big game situations where he may not make the play that is necessary. Not not even necessary. It's just he's not the one making the play to push them over the, the top of the mountain. Um, sometimes you push the blame on him, but that's just being... Yeah, I mean, listen, every team wants a guy, a Gretzky, that's going to go out and take the puck and dominate and or a Lindros and just push guys out of the way and go to the net and score. Those guys just don't... Those guys, and I'm not calling you out on this. No, I'm totally, I'm, I'm guilty. I will guys, say I'm guilty as charged. These guys don't exist outside of two or three people. They just don't. There, there are not Eric Lindrosses out there that are just bullying guys in the face-off circle and literally one-handing goals. Those guys don't exist anymore. And there's one or two guys in the league that can just dominate a game. Hockey's not that kind of sport where you can have put one guy out on the ice and he can make a difference in in the snap of a finger i mean you're, it's Connor mcdavid and you know austin matthews maybe and those those are two guys that's it and an elite goaltender can make a difference so um i think that's why you know you have some people who maybe they don't watch hockey enough or maybe they don't understand the game and they look at and drew's wearing the c uh well he didn't score tonight or uh you know he didn't go out and get the goal when they really needed it so uh strip more of the c it's just a dumb argument i'm tired of hearing it and people need to educate themselves when they talk about a sport that they don't understand about a player that they don't understand yeah man that's why i sit back and let you bring the flyers to all of our philly fans because i am not um i like the flyers you know i i go to the go to the games to watch the games, but I'm not a educated hockey expert. So I don't really understand the strategy behind hockey aside from like a few of the basic penalties, but I don't have enough information on like the strategy and how the game is played to know when someone's really screwing up. I mean, you can so tell what you're so saying is you want a hockey related podcast that we need to do. We need to go over all, all the, the whole shebang, the analytics. We need to go over everything. So yeah, we're going to do like, that. Like I that. need, 
I need a pie. We need to do a special edition where we explain like how plays work in hockey because I'm always mesmerized. I, I play basketball, so I understand basketball plays, but in hockey, I'm like, I don't really know what the plays are. They just look like they're swooping and whooping all over the place, but it's incredible <laughs> how they like throw passes across ice straight into someone's stick. Now I sound like a complete moron, actually, now that I say it like that, well, but to be, it's to be honest, incredible. You know basketball, right? So I'll sum it up real quickly for you. Take the transition game of basketball and just put it on, on ice with guys that are on, you know, flying around on steel and they got sticks in their hands. It's a bunch of Canucks that uh, basically play fast transition basketball on ice. That's what it is. So, you know, and uh, we'll, we'll all certainly get more in depth uh, when we uh, do our hockey uh, related podcast, but uh, think of it that way. Thank you, Justin. That is that is a that is a start. That's a little preview of our hockey podcast coming sometime when the Eagles don't play, because we're gonna have more time to do fun things that aren't bitch about the Eagles for an hour. <laughs> but our podcast is coming to a slow end. I'm real quick gonna do. Uh, so we've been doing this segment called Now You Know, and this is more of just a, I'm gonna say a score and then talk about my experience with this score, um, and now you'll know what I experienced. Uh, this past weekend, I was in Raleigh for the weekend, and I went on Sunday to watch football at a uh, bar called the Brick House in Raleigh. It's right off uh, NC State's campus. And what I did not know entering that bar is that that is a home bar of the Raleigh, North Carolina Patriots fan club of some sorts. Oh, wow. So I, I sit down and start watching the game and realize like every time the Patriots do something good, it literally sounds like I'm at a Patriots game. <laughs> And they are just the worst. I mean, there's a lot of fans who I'm going to say are the worst fans, but Patriots fans suck. And you can't tell who's been there since before the Super Bowls happened and who just jumped on the bandwagon and now is like, yeah, Gronk. But that game, there was was a lot of – it was really difficult to root for the Dolphins because I don't know if the Dolphins are really that good of a football team. But they're down a touchdown with – I don't even know how many seconds left. They they do like the hook and ladder. I don't know if you did you see this play, Justin? <laughs> oh, I saw it. Yeah. Oh my God! So I'm watching this as it unfolds. I'm like, no way, no way. He's breaking away, and then he's running towards the end zone, and I see Gronk just get toasted. And I ha- I I I'll tell you what. I had the biggest smile on my face for about seven minutes straight after that because people were getting up and walking around and just like screaming of these Patriots fans in North Carolina, and I'm just sitting there clapping, going, I, "Yeah." I don't know if you saw it or not, but someone cut it up on um, Twitter and put the Titanic music behind it, and it was so good. Dude, I need to see that. Please send that to me. It because... was, I will find it and I'll send it to you because it was awesome. Oh my God. It's like, I told, like, that was the moment for those seven minutes that I was happiest on, on Sunday. And I really thought that was going to ride over the Cowboys game, but it didn't. So I guess that's it for our birds talk being in the playoffs, but we'll still cover the Eagles uh, the next few weeks just to talk about um, the games and. Then we'll have some episodes where we discuss coaching's futures and players' futures. And then moving forward, Justin, I think we're delving a little deeper into the Sixers, more into the Flyers, and then maybe we can do some fun, just informative podcasts about hockey and other fun facts. Yeah, I look. For, hey, as always, I look forward to it. There's always going to be something to talk about. So despite our um, you know, uh, sadness as it relates to the Eagles, we have plenty to talk about in this city. So we're going to – we're not going to be – uh, I don't think we're going to be lacking for any content. That's the darn truth. Justin, as always, thank you so much for everything you do for this podcast. This has been Flying High, the Philly fans' perspective. Send requests. 
Play us out. Don't tell me what I'm